Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me for yet another edition of the Richard Listens podcast. I'm Richard Oldberger, clinical psychologist, and I thank you for joining me in pursuing my passion and for telling stories of amazing individuals channeling their own inner hero on the pursuit to passion and higher performance. Today's guest is Mr. Kurt David. He is also the producer and Emmy award-winning executive producer and international international speaker on sudden change. He is the co-founder of Purpose Point, and he also produces Glory Days TV. We're going to be talking about his foundation, his journey from professional sports on to telling the stories of other amazing individuals, including Hall of Fame football players and amazing other athletes that he's come across on his way. We all know the world has been in a state of flux and change, so talking about sudden change, ways in which we normally respond, ways in which we can adapt is key and of relevance to you as my listener base. Again, check me out on Instagram at Richard Listens. If you haven't been, patreon.com slash Richard Listens to support the show. I'm grateful for it and appreciate all the love, care, support, and all the stories you bring forward to me so that I can tell your stories and build our reach out to the global world. Without further ado, I introduce to you Mr. Kurt David. Thank Thank you for making time from the heart of America, Detroit, Michigan. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Metro Detroit here. Heart of America in the Midwest here. Are you suffering as much as I am with the football teams this year? New York Giants here. We're trying to make it the worst in the league four years in a row. Well, uh, you know, I don't know about recently. It's been an ongoing. Uh, we joke in Detroit here that the last championship that Detroit Lions have had is 1957. Wow. Uh, it's a long haul. 
Yeah, that's a long haul. And people are always hopeful, but I think that's part of it. We get drawn in. Everybody's hopeful. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, no, not another year like this. <laughs> You're waiting for evidence to the contrary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you for making the time. Your work, as I was telling our listeners on the intro today, is of, it's of interest to me. Obviously, you're a basketball player and a lover of sports and sports history, but also the work on sudden change, you know, being that probably we were just kind of talking about Zoom disorder, but also, I mean, once we go beyond six months in the professional psychology realm, it's officially a diagnosis or it can be a, you know, a different diagnosis when something goes on, goes from acute to chronic, right? That perhaps they need to add four about a Zoom disorder as much as people have been on the Zoom and, and some of the mental health challenges we're seeing as a result. Yeah, you know, I've had on my podcast in the past, and I may start sharing some of his clip, Dr. Levi Harrison, and he's a surgeon, I believe, that works with professional gamers. Mm -hmm. And we had him on, you know, early in the year, and he was talking about exercises that you can do to step away from your gaming console. And so he had eye exercises, and he had, like, Queen's Wave, and he had different things you do with your wrist to just create movement. So I think, yeah, physiologically, we all know that sitting for too long isn't great, but probably staring at a screen and the degree of attention that we have to give to looking in a camera. I don't know about you, but I'm noticing some intense symptoms as a result at the end of the day. I think it's rewiring our brain, to be honest. Yeah. So what, what things have you done? You know, this our guess is much about the content that you produce is about the people who, you know, do the work. What have you done to keep yourself balanced and keep creating and, and have fun through all of this with this new change in demand, starting with your fascinating backdrop? I appreciate that, Richard. And one of the things, I, you know, before I talk about what I do, I, I can't help but talk about who I am, right? Because who I am is not necessarily what I do. You know, I have a lot of fun stuff that I do, but it goes back to my foundation, which is I grew up with six of us in one family, six kids and two parents in one house. There was only one bathroom in the house. You learn early on that life is not all about you. And then we move forward from there and all six of us were on athletic scholarship and two of us played professionally. Wow. So imagine that household growing up, very competitive, uh, you know, brushing your teeth. Oh, our <laughs> furniture was horrible in the house by the time we were done, you know, by the time we get to be adults. But, you know, the reason why I say that, Richard, is that we really, you know, I look at the foundation of how I was raised. Uh, I can't help but talk about what I do before I talk about who I am. And that's who I am. And it laid a path for what I do today because everything I do today has a purpose. Everything I do today has a very distinct purpose of helping others, serving. So I do it in certain ways. One is by speaking and the other is by producing and creating TV shows. And uh, what's interesting, though, is I, I did a, I, I guess, kind of an inventory yesterday for whatever the reason it was great timing for this interview. Didn't necessarily plan it that way, but I did an inventory. In 2019, I, I did over 140 in-person presentations. And in wow. 2020, I've done five. And so that's a major, major change. And then the other side of that is we currently have, through my production company, about $1.3 million worth of television projects that have been very challenging to progress during a pandemic. And so those were my aha moments yesterday. It's like, wow. But the great news is, and this is what keeps me smiling is that I believe that, you know, through this time, this is going to be an exciting time because a lot of innovation is going to come as a result. I think it's caused people to pause. It's called people to, to incubate, so to speak. This is a great incubation time to take 
a look at what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And and for somebody who thrives on sudden change and speaks on sudden change, I'm practicing what I preach. And so it's been really a journey of excitement. I just can't wait till we start coming out of this and looking at five years, 10 years from now, looking back at this moment of time and saying, wow, this is what came out of this moment of time, which I think it's going to be. I look at the good news of it, right? Has it been traumatic? Has it been challenging? You know, people looking at jobs, businesses closing. Absolutely. I don't want to minimize that or certainly uh, ignore that. But I know that through this time and throughout history, we've seen innovation come through necessity. Absolutely. And thank you for being so transparent with that. Is that like a Franklin Covey business inventory or is that a, a personal inventory you do? As, as no, a- it's, it's my own personal. I usually do it annually where I check my priority list and, and look at, you know, what's priority. Because one of the things I've learned is that in the whirlwind of life, it's easy to get caught up on day to day, right? And if you don't have a, a solid fixture where you're going, it's very easy to get caught up with the whirlwinds that happen. Every day. And so one of the things I like to do is at least annually double check my priorities, look at my list, you know, what's short term, long term. And this year I started a little bit earlier <laughs> because it's like, boy, you know, I think we're not quite to the end of this year, but I think there needs to be a look at what's happening, what's not happening, where the priorities shift. And so that's what part of my motivation for doing so in October uh, before the end of the year. And so it, it was a good thing, actually. Yeah, so this really raises a good point because I know that I feel, you know, when pressed and I look back the last, you know, six months, I've produced more podcasts than I had in the four years prior. I've taken certain leaps of faith into asking for more of my value and reaching more of my ideal client. And yet the brain often wants to go to, you know, I had launched a website at the start of 2020 to really target athletes and teams, and that didn't happen. And so the brain often can go to, you know, we know that the trauma center gets lit up, right? The failure side of it, yeah. That's right. The threat is more like salient. And so we pick up on that. So, you know, that's the question we're talking about. We want to get to this place of creativity and ingenuity, redefining ourselves and staying in line with our purpose. And yet, how do we do it when we're faced with sudden change? Yeah, I learned a growth model some years ago that very applicable to today. And one of the things that I've learned is that you may have heard us before. It's PDCA, plan, do, check, and adjust. It's a growth model that I learned some years ago and have applied it. And then the neat thing about this is this growth model, PDCA, can apply to my professional life. It can apply to my personal life, my spiritual life, my physical life. I, I could apply this growth model to any aspect of my life. And so that, as an example, as a professional aspect of it, if I look at the professional aspect of my PDCA, plan, do, check, and adjust, I plan it, I do it, I check the results. And then this is where most people get separated from the haves and the have-nots. Once they check the results and see, oh, I didn't get the results that I wanted, they stop, right? As opposed to adjusting and then doing it all over again. And what that does as a result is it takes failure off the equation. It's no longer an equation because basically it's just another step towards the success. In other words, I plan something, I do it, I check the results, and then I adjust. I plan on having a website to help with transitions, right? (laughs) You did that for 2020. You did it, you check the results, and it's like, oh, and now you adjust. And as a result, you've done different things. I mean, you're looking at podcasts. And so that's just an example. I always use the example of Thomas Edison. I mean, thank goodness, more or less, he used the PDCA process when creating a light bulb. I don't know exactly what that number is. I've heard so many different guesses of people saying, oh, it was 1,000 or it was 900 or it was 10,000. I honestly don't know what that exact number is, but we know that he had failed over and over and over again. Or did he actually just recreate the 
PDCA process till we found the right element to work for the light bulb. Yeah, exactly. And we, we now we look back and we go, we're so thankful he sat there and tinkered in his closet, you know. And some of it is is this idea about right of failure, right? And and you being an athlete, right? You know, I've had players come to work with me who they said if they missed their first five shots, forget. You know, then they, they were a different person. Their whole approach to the game shifted. How is it that oftentimes athletes do develop because they get so much repetition and practice, the ability to shrug off failure? And how is it that for some, it becomes kind of what defines them, right? Yeah, you know the phrase, too, paralysis by analysis, right? I mean, people overanalyze. And, you know, I, I think everybody's different. I can't say, you know, in general what it is for athletes, but I, I think one of the things that I've learned from being an athlete, and again, I, I always joke with people, I kind of laugh now when people, oh, he played professional basketball. I mean, that was 30 pounds, right? I don't go by years, I go by pounds. And so I kind of <laughs> chuckle now. It's like, hey, that was a whole different life. You know, that was a whole different time period of my life. I'm so far removed from that. I mean, it was an experience I had. But the reason why I bring that up is there was a lot of lessons of life, right? I, I think about all six of my siblings. Athletic scholarship, two of us played professionally. I mean, I think about the lessons of life that we all learn from being involved with sports from young through high school through college and beyond and one of the things that I've learned is that certainly there's things that are applicable to this year for anybody that I've learned from sports grit adaptability tenacity uh, learning how to fail right I mean you, you take a loss and it's like oh okay we're back tomorrow let's pick it back up again right and so you learn how to lose so to speak gracefully and you learn how to win gracefully as well and so uh, those are the things that I think that I lied directly from what I've learned as an athlete, which have been very helpful in real life. So when you talk about, you know, your story, I mean, it is very, to come from six siblings and that, that I mean, what's the probability? I mean, you said all of you have an athletic scholarship? Yeah, all six of us. Yeah, five of us are basketball. And my older sister, she was the runt of the litter. She was only five, six. So she ran track at a division one school. So she was a track runner. The rest of us were basketball. So was it all gifted athletic? Athleticism, I, I think not from the way you're telling the story. I mean, what was it about not only in your family, but was it also in the environment where in towns? I know there was also schools were segregating, right, if I'm correct, around that time. So what was it like and, and, and what, what do you attribute to that level of success? Well, you can't coach 6'9", right? I'm six foot nine inches tall, four foot <laughs> 33 inches, as I say. Had a brother 6'7", another one 6'6". Six, six. A couple of my sisters were tall. We did have one run to the litter. She was only 5'6". So she was our track runner. But, you know, so there, there's a gift and ability right there that you can't coach, right? That just happens physiologically. I think part of it is support. I mean, my parents, one of them was always at one of our activities. We always knew that one of our parents was going to be there for us. And so that, that support, knowing that they're always there for us, I think that laid a foundation as well. And so, you know, not everybody has that opportunity or, or that luxury of having two parents that are very supportive and, you know, move you along. And I swear to God, I don't know how parents clothe their fetus. I mean, I really don't. I don't know how they kept us clothed. I don't know how they kept us fed. Uh, six of us my size, and you know, more or less. And, and so, you know, I'm very grateful and very fortunate as a result. But, you know, to get back to answer your question, I think part of it too, Richard, is that as an athlete, uh, one of the things you have to realize is, you know, this is what you do. It's not who you are. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that when athletes struggle, especially with the transition out of sports, is their identity is, is bought into what they do, which is not true, right? It's just what they do. It's not who they are. And if they don't know who they are, then that's part of the challenge of post 
uh, athletic careers is, is, you know, who am I then? This is what I've done since I was five. I thought this is who I am, but it's not, you know, at, at 25, 35, whatever year it is when they're done. It's realizing that this is what I do. It's not who I am. Yeah, and it's a real challenge. I mean, we've had guests on the show that were the number one recruited athlete in the nation at one point in time for multiple sports, having won multiple state titles, and their parent was a professional athlete. Talk about being infused. And I know what we're looking forward to having your participation on the uh, Making the Jump podcast for retired athletes on the way out when your schedule permits. So we want, you know, speaking to the individual and yet hearing the stories of how it's really humbling, right? When you've been the best and so much has been poured into that piece of your identity, how do you deal with the struggle of, but I'm weak in other areas or I'm lacking in other areas? And yet the fear that I'm behind the ball, right? If somebody's 37 and they retire from an NFL career of 15 years, <laughs> they may make the Hall of Fame, but th- on another level, they're really behind. The perception is that I'm behind the rest of the curve in this next level of identity. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's very real. I'll give you a great example. I had a World Series champion that at 35 years of age, she said when he was done, he had to learn how to write a resume. He had no clue how to write a resume. I had a gentleman who was in his early 30s that played 10 years of professional soccer and he had a degree. Thank goodness he had a degree to fall back on. And he went to start looking for jobs. And they're like, well, you don't have any experience. And he's like, no, I've been playing professional soccer for the last 10 years. And they're like, well, everybody else your age has 10 years of experience that we're hiring, right? And so it became a roadblock for him because he realized that, boy, you know, that became a detriment as a result. Playing professional hockey or soccer, you would think that was a benefit. But he, he learned that, oh, no, you know, we're looking for people who have experience at your age. That was a change for them. I think, you know, what I've learned from my research, writing the book and, and the TV show, I've done 50 TV interviews of, you know, Hall of Fame, World Star, world Champion Athletes. What I've learned is there's a commonality of success and that there's a pattern for people that have success again. That was a motivation for writing my book. It was far removed after I was done playing professional basketball. I had an idea and I thought, boy, wouldn't it be neat to sit down with other former professional athletes and hear about their story after pro sports and more importantly, how they recreated their success. And so that spawned the idea of my book from glory days. I sat down with 20 former Detroit Pistons, Tigers, Red Wings, and Lions and heard their stories about, okay, we talked about the glory days, right? That's always fun to talk about. Hey, what was it like to win an NBA championship or a World Series? And you've got some classic teams there, right? Yeah, in the past, no question. It's been a while. (laughs) But but then we talk about the transition, which is very real. And I don't know if you know the exit stats or not, but, you know, 25% of NFL players are broke within the first year. 78% of NFL players within two years are bankrupt, 60% of NBA players within five years enters up to an 80% divorce rate. From job loss to disaster, that, that's the reality for professional athletes. And, you know, people talk about, oh, they're out cheating on their wives and that's why there's such a high divorce rate. No, I mean, imagine this. You're used to being on the road six months out of the year and suddenly you're toe-to-toe with your spouse every single day with a 95% pay cut. What marriage would survive, right? And that's the reality. That's what happened. And so uh, what I found, though, is these athletes that have had and found success, there's a commonality. And I've seen that pattern. And that's what I speak 
speak on that. When I talk about sudden change, I just I discovered that it wasn't just for the athletes, it's for corporations, companies. That are, and that's what I was doing quite a bit of before this year, was doing a lot of speaking with companies and organizations about how to face change and how to face it successfully and rapidly. I'm glad you make that parallel, right? Because a lot of times organizations start to behave like the individuals they serve. I know as a corporate trainer, Bruce Anderson, who, I, who, who talks about, you know, reinstilling hope in organizations, particularly mental health organizations, that talks about that trend. And I know uh, from, from Jim Collins' work on some of the, the 10X companies, the ones that have succeeded through 9-11, through the Great Depression, uh, there is a take you know, look at the commonality in certain companies that are able to endure over time. Uh, what are some of the messages that you send when a corporation brings you in, hopefully when we're back to getting you 200 live performance? But, you know, what I've discovered is that the commonality of success, and, and actually I'm speaking to more military as well right now, because there's a lot of parallels between military that are transitioning out of the active service, right? They come back to the real world, so to speak, and it's like, whoa, this is different. I'm, you know, it's a whole different atmosphere. I'm so used to being told what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm on my own and got to figure it out. And, and so there's a lot of parallels there with military, athletes. Uh, what I've discovered is that the higher level you go with something, the more difficult that transition. In other words, what that means is that as a professional athlete, that's a, that's the highest level you can go as an athlete, right? CEO of a company, uh, somebody who's had great success in a certain area. The higher level you go, the more difficult that transition from that is because that's been so ingrained in your life to get to that level, right? You have to be so laser focused. But, you know, one of the things that I've discovered, one of the first things I've discovered is that people have a refocus. In other words, they've learned how to refocus. They've learned how to reestablish new goals. And one of the things that I've learned is that in order to get excited again, which athletes are very passionate, they have to learn how to reestablish their goal and how to reestablish themselves. So what I discovered, Richard, is that people, you know, high caliber people, whether it be an athlete, a CEO, people in that organization, in order to help with their transition, one of the first things they do is have a refocus. And by refocusing, the best way to refocus is to take a look at their current goals, reestablish new goals, and by doing so, recreates that passion and purpose in their life, right? Athletes are very passionate people. We Somehow that has to be replaced. It's never the same. I can tell you right now, it's never the same, right? Playing a professional sport, every athlete I've spoken to, uh, you know, they'll tell you, no, I've not found anything to replace it, right? Do I do other things that I get excited about? Yeah, absolutely. But nothing's replaced that. And so having that refocus is part of that time to say, boy, what is it that we're doing? What is it that is our current goals? And we can go a lot deeper into refocusing what that looks like. I I'll give you a great example. I don't drink beer and I don't care one way or another if people drink or not, but I, I use an example of the 18th Amendment, right? Imagine that, 18th Amendment, 1921, the U.S. government says you can no longer brew your beer anymore or sell it, right, legally. And so when Prohibition hit, 1,273 breweries in America suddenly were told, hey, we can't do this anymore legally, right? And so throughout that history, the 13 years of Prohibition, only 244 survived, 244 out of those 1,273 breweries. And so I first went to not what happened to those 80% that closed. You know, we know what happened to the 80% that closed. My thought was, well, what did those 20% do that remained open? How did they do it? Well, what I discovered is that, you know, one in particular, there was a company run by a couple of German immigrants, and they decided they weren't going to take prohibition lying down. They were going to basically have a refocus. And they re refocused from brewing beer to creating malt extract, ginger ale, 
even doing uh, refrigerator and car parts during that time. And so as a result of the refocus, Anheuser-Busch survived Prohibition and became the world's largest brewery as a result by having that refocus during that time of sudden change. And that's just one example. Wow, I didn't know that piece of the history. That's incredible. I know companies have stood by what their principles were. I know Southwest, you know, even after 9-11 really stood by their core principles. But at times, right, the adaptability is necessary, right, if you're going to survive. I didn't know those statistics. That sounds yeah, dramatic yeah. to me. Well, and it's part of the five. One of the five is letting go, right? Refocus is one of them. Letting go is another one, which far none is the most difficult for professional athletes, right? Letting go. And the reason why is it's in the marrow of our veins, our bones, never to give up, right? Fall down seven, get up eight. You never give up. You always give up. You keep going and keep going. And so that's one of the biggest challenges for professional athletes is letting go. And unfortunately, it's probably one of the most important aspects of transition. A great example of that is I had a phone call from a gentleman out of Houston, Texas years ago. And he called me up and he says, hey, I heard you're a transition guy and, and work with athletes. And I said, yeah, okay, tell me more. He says, well, I just want a bronze medal in the Olympics. I said, okay, you have my attention. Congratulations. And uh, he went on to say, I'm not sure if I want to continue doing this or not. And so for six months, he and I started walking through this process of transition. And for six months, he just he couldn't let it go. He says, I don't know if I want to commit another four years or not. And after about six months, he finally made a decision. Yeah, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to move on. And he let it go. He moved on. He's doing great now. He's in LA. He's doing uh, bit parts and acting and stunt work and doing really well. And, and to the contrast to that, I had a phone call from a, a pitcher, Major League Baseball pitcher, who was released right after spring training. So I met with him the week after spring training. And he and I sat down and we started walking through this process of transition. And within a week, he had let it go. He moved on. He's like, yep, yeah, I'm no longer a professional athlete. I let it go. He moved on. He's doing very well. And so everybody's different, right? Everybody's letting go process is different, but it's a very important aspect of moving forward, especially during change, whether it be an individual or an organization, right? Another example is Ford Motor Company. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not, but... Come to LA, we have the, the Peterson Museum here, so we get to see all like the original... I, I had the honor of sitting down with a Ford executive some years ago, and I asked him, I said, how did, how did you guys survive the downturn in 2007 and 2008, right? All the other car companies are taking out bailouts, you know, government backings and loans and stuff. And I said, Ford didn't. I said, how did you guys do that? Well, they talked about some of the things that they did, but one of the things this executive had shared, he said, you know, we realized at Ford that we had a, a mantra that we were promoting. In fact, we were spending millions of dollars marketing it, that quality is job one, right? We kept promoting it. We kept selling it. We kept, you know, having all these TV ads. He said, we realized that we weren't creating quality. He said, we had to let that go. And he says, once we let go of the fact that we were not creating quality and we started creating quality, it turned the corner for us. And they've done great, I don't want to say record-setting profits, but certainly been profitable every quarter since as a result of letting go of what they needed to let go. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. 
That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouthguards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouthguard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. Yeah, I, I think on the same line, Kurt, you know, talking about what makes an athlete special. So, yes, it's not the fact that they're an athlete that makes them special, but oftentimes somebody who naturally gets up super early, puts in disciplined amount of hours, has habits and an ethic that is a part of who they are, whether it got shaped through coaches, sporting teams, and those skills are can be poured into any kind of business. And I know that there's companies out there, I know, and Enterprise is one colleague who has a shipping company who we had on uh, early on the podcast, right, who only hires athletes for that purpose because they trust the professionalism, the care for the customer. All the lessons of life that come from playing sports. So, right. So my point is, right, that these things are not just to be, you know, shrugged off. Like these are important personal characteristics mm-hmm. that whether you played in the NBA or played abroad or, you know, whatever level you took your basketball seriously and and cared for it about or any sport that if you can embrace that as part of you know who you are then you know it should give more confidence I think so much of it is like undervaluing all the things you bring to a table and into something new like there's always going to be the unknown of the new and maybe that's the hardest part right going from being the star or the you know really experienced and knowing everything there is to know about a particular sport and now being kind of so much that's unknown. Part of my joke is that, you know, you watch a professional event now and a football player doesn't even have to lift their hands to get a drink of water. They got somebody squirting water in their mouth. You see an NBA player checking into a game and there's a trail of clothes that he leaves on the floor behind him that somebody else is picking up after him, right? (laughs) Get into the real world and it's like, I mean, I had one of the athletes that I interviewed. He said, why is it that when I'm making all this money playing professional sports, everybody wants to give me free cars, free suits, free food, you know, and all of a sudden I'm done playing pro sports and I got to pay for everything. And it's kind of an economy, but that's the reality, right? That's the truth of it. So uh, very interesting that it happens that way. But, uh, you know, back to your point, I think part of it too is is that, you know, what is it that athleticism has set that person up, right? In other words, it, you got to that level because you had certain characteristics, whether it's grit, whether it be a lot of times it's OCD, you're used to repeating things over and over and over again so you're really good at it. But how do you apply that back into the real? right that's the challenge right there by the way we say in in jovial nature but i've gotten more calls during covid from athletes who have those characteristics because they're now checking and fearful and cleaning everything and i've had to like remind them look at it helps you in this domain what got you to that level now is can can be a detriment one of the things i've learned too is it's easier to let go of a vine when you either have a hold of another vine or you can at least see the other vine that you're about ready to grab right that's part of that letting go process. It's easier to let go of that other vine when you have a hold of that vine, or you at least can see very clearly. And that's why that refocus is so important, right? You may not be able to have that hand, that vine, that other vine in your hand yet, but if you're during your refocus process, you see very clearly, okay, this is where I'm going. This is how I'm going to get there. This is connecting the dots. It makes it easier to let go of that other vine, knowing that there's going to be that other vine there and maybe even having a hold of that vine already before you do so. Well, this is beautiful, Kurt, where we're talking about, you know, 
know, taking a leap and to change, but certainly what make what factors make it easier to make that change while we're getting uh, distracted by our own aspects of sudden and personal change here. We, we try and bring authenticity to this. Keep it real. So is that what, when you're working with an athlete or when you're, you know, doing your work that you have from Glory Days and then you have the other, po- it's a podcast? Uh, we actually have quite a few different projects that I'm executive producing. We have mostly our sports history type shows. In other words, from Glory Days, it's about former professional athletes. I have a couple of documentaries I'm involved with. I'm involved with a documentary we're doing about the Negro Baseball League, uh, doing a documentary about a gym in Detroit. It, it's equivalent to Motown in Detroit. It's the equivalent of basketball to, in Detroit. So we're doing a documentary about that gym. Uh, we have a mental health show that I'm actually executive producing here in Detroit. It's actually, we're, we're starting to roll that out nationally. Uh, it's called Mind Matters with Dr. Michelle. We have a PhD psychologist who is our host. Real people, real issues, real solutions. And so it's a, a great show that I'm involved with as an executive producer. We have a couple other documentaries and, and shows that I'm doing as well. And so, you know, that's that's what I've been doing with my time as, as uh, producing and creating TV shows. It's proven a little challenging during a pandemic, but holding the course and, and everything I do has to have a higher purpose. In other words, I just don't want to create entertainment. It's got to be more significant than that, in my opinion. And that's why everything that we do has a great significance, like this mental health show. Uh, you know, we have these real people that are on there. We just had a pretty famous rapper that he was on there talking about how if it wasn't for therapy, he wouldn't be here today. And how it's helped him tremendously. And so it, it's neat to see, right? It's neat to see that these real people are benefiting from that. And that we want to get rid of that stigma, so to speak, as you would understand as well. That's really it. And it's, it's, it makes me so happy that, you know, when, I, when, when you told me you're doing this show and that you have a psychologist, but dealing with real issues, dealing with mental health this time, I think this is part of it, right? Access is part of it. People hearing the content being out there. And then we've known more more and more athletes, you know, from Paul George in the bubble to Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, you know, coming out and being quite open about their their struggles. And I think that starts to help, right, instead of this, this characterization that I can't be an athlete and have anything going on within me that in order to be focused, I have to block, I have to block that part of me out. And I, and, right. and so, you know, helping people understand there's a focus and allowing your emotions to get to be processed. So so, you know, I'll get questions, you know, it's, it's, it's an email I had, you know, focus on this week. Hey, if I allow this processing to happen, is my focus on the court going to be impacted? And that's a valid question, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so thankful when the question comes forward, because at least it means you're in the game of looking deeper within yourself and all the things that have made you who you are, but may still cause you some pain. Uh, you know, we're not meant to be perfect just because we're great or athletic or talented or all those things, I think, you know, right, to, to be a full human being is to understand those parts of ourselves as well. So I'm so thankful that you're producing this content because we can reach the beauty of the Zoomverse. We're talking about diagnoses and things that are happening to our physiology from sitting in front of a camera, but the beauty is we can reach so many athletes on so many levels right now. Well, I'll give you a great example. One of the guys that I interviewed for the show, he was a number two draft pick by the LA 
Kelly Kings, right? Not number one. Number two, he uh, came from Ottawa, Canada, so small little out of Canada, L.A. Talk about a culture shock for him. 19 years old, right? He moves from Ottawa to L.A. He's got a condo on the beach, a Porsche, money in his pocket. He said it was like a free fall, right? And move forward from that moment. At 27 years of age, he went headfirst into the boards, became a quadriplegic. Nothing from the neck on down. Shattered wow. his vertebrae, and he went from being a professional athlete to nothing from the neck on down. And he talked about that journey. He talked about what a sudden impact that was for him and his family, right? He had a wife and two kids at that time. And one of the things he talked about, well, he says he was so despondent, but yet his wife, he says a seminal moment was his wife recognized how bad of uh, emotional state he was. And she got in his face and said, listen, honey, I, I can't imagine what you're going through and, you know, a big change. She said, uh, but I love you. You have two beautiful daughters that love you. You have a lot to live for. And he said that was the shift in his attitude at that moment. And for 14 years after that, he, he and his wife started researching more about uh, traumatic spinal cord injuries. And he realized, which was pivotal, that his spinal cord was still intact, that his paralysis came from the trauma of his vertebrae all the way around his, his vertebrae, uh, around his spinal cord. So over the next 14 years, he, through therapy and uh, other research, he's not walking again. He's got some braces and, you know, he's got a little wobble here and there, but he's walking. He's a best-selling author and motivational speaker in Canada. And this is one of the best sound bites I've ever had out of the 50 interviews. He said, you know, before the accident, I went from trying to be the best in the world, right? As a professional athlete, you're trying to be the best in the world. That's your goal. It's so razor thin, right? That difference between the best and not the best. He said, but I was striving to be the best in the world. He says, after my accident, my whole attitude shifted. And I went from trying to be the best in the world, trying to be the best for the world. And I think that's what it's all about, right? It's a shift of attitude to say, boy, you know, I've been striving to try to be the best in the world, but I need to be the best for the world. And I think that's the paradigm shift that will make it exciting because if athletes apply what they have as an athlete back into the real world, stand back, right? I mean, it's exciting to think about if all those attributes, characteristics get applied back into the real world from an athlete. And that's exciting to me. Exactly. And how inspiring they can be, right? And we've had athletes on, right? If you look at yourself, you know, you have guys who like were the, the leading receiver and broke records in their conference. And so they went on to the NFL and they were a journeyman and they got a couple of whatever the equivalent of a 10-day contract is. And they didn't really t- make it by NFL standards. Yeah. They didn't make it right. If you look, if you're looking at yourself by NFL or be the best ever, you know, based on injuries and situations that you were in four or five years, you made a couple salaries, you got cut several times. But when you look at a child coming up or someone looking up to someone, you were the greatest in your conference. I mean, you broke records. You're, you're even, you know, probably in some local Hall of Fames, the gifts and the skills and the knowledge and the experience that you have to bring forward. It's just, right, it's inspiring. It's electric. So, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to model. We talk about authenticity, right? It's very easy with this pandemic to go. I gave up my office. I'm Beverly Drive. I'm here talking to Kurt from what used to be my garage with the, you know, the spider webs hanging around me, right? Probably where I'm sitting, right? But instead, it's like you said, what can I give to the world? This opportunity, this shift right now enables me to rechange the book that I'm writing to reach a broader audience, to even go deeper than just the narrow, you know, razor that I was focusing on. How do you handle this transition or how, what's the biggest transition you've ever had and how do you handle it? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I think we're in it. I think it's easy to tell the narrative, like we're talking about the brain searching for the fear point. 
points that that there's been this consistent battling with giving up passion for practicality. So, you know, thanks. I'm raised in a comfortable upbringing. I never had to, you know, live without a home, like literally a house, right? So I think there's a couple pieces of identity that that I cling to. For me, and the reason why I'm very passionate about athletes and human beings and families is because for me, the choice to go to work and give up my pursuit of sports at, at a higher level, you know, even collegiately was the message I got. You go to work. You got to survive. And so that can become really salient in an athlete's mind if you're just about, I got to put bread on the table. But so more often than not, that decision to survive and just work my tail off led to, you know, a lot of issues. Number one, you know, I was working so much, but was it really serving my goals? Like you're talking about, you're evaluating. Was it, was I meeting, you know, I, I became, I was working for the county as a crisis responder. I was bossing around uh, LAPD and ER physicians and principals and schools, even at the colleges, but I wasn't sleeping, you know. So I think, you know, the theme, and that can carry forward into the pandemic of do I go into crisis mode, crisis when there is a challenge, do I just panic or do I settle back into this deeper place to go, what's the thread there? What's the thread between the desire to play a sport? What did I love about being a basketball player? Even if I can't, and I've tried to continue playing and competing as much as I can into adulthood. But what do I love about team? What do I live about bringing people together? And I try and bring that now forward into creating a podcast team, bringing content out there in multiple ways that the messaging, that the audiences, you know, the people I partner with. So, but I'd say for sure, you know, going through that kind of trauma was, you know, definitely the loss of funding and finances as I was about to take off for college and having to navigate that, what, what felt like a security blanket and suddenly there's a negotiation of how do I survive and move myself. And so the biggest lesson from the pandemic for me as a man, what I try and bring forward to work with other men and athletes, not that it's not important for women, but I can say for a man that with what I got from teams, what I got from that experience of connection and belongingness, that without that, there can be a lot of isolation, a lot of withdrawal, a lot of looking at what's missing and what's going wrong rather than exactly where you need to be and a reminder of your gifts. So for me, it's, you know, connecting to team, connecting to groups, connecting to support. And I've been leaning on all those things very heavily myself to keep me going. So teamwork makes the dream work, right? I mean, it's the cheesy phrase, but it's funny when I speak to kids, like when I go to schools and speak to kids, one of the questions I always ask is name a job that you do all by yourself without having anybody else involved. And these kids will sometimes raise their hand and say, oh, postman, right? I'm not just a delivering mail by myself. Well, where do you get the mail from? Oh, you have to get it from somebody else. Oh, okay. And somebody would say, a uh, researcher, right? I'm a scientific researcher. I says, oh, okay, well, where do you get the information from and what do you do with the information after you discover something? Oh, okay, you have to work with somebody. Okay. So they get it that, that really there's nothing in life that isn't accomplished without other people. And I think that's one of the biggest attributes, you know, as we alluded to earlier, of athletes is that ability to work as it learn your role, stay in your lane, you know, how do I identify what's my best gift and how do I accomplish that? And that's what makes it exciting to be part of a team. And I think that's what you're saying is building that team and, and leaning on that team. Uh, you probably by now have learned what your gifts are and what you have to use as a reciprocation around you, right? I mean, I've learned that by now. It's like, what am I good at? And who would I need around me that complement what my gifts are? Because there's areas that I'm not as strong in. So I need people that are strong in those areas and identifying that's really important. And 
pandemic is fun. Listen, it's good to learn things, good to push yourself out of your comfort zone. But at some point, it's also good to know. I mean, my partner making the Jump podcast has 30 years in business experience. Mm -hmm. So when she tells me something, I listen, right? But I think, you know, just to circle back and finish the knot, if you're an athlete, if you're anyone going through transition and you're losing your team or you've lost your support system, sometimes it's just about, right, contact Kurt, contact one person. You know, if you're going through addiction right now because you're in so much pain and it's been a lot of suffering, one person who's made it or succeeding a little bit more than you are with sobriety, one sponsor, one coach, one therapist, right? One individual that can start to create the team around you or like the term I've heard from other athletes is creating your off the field huddle. So if you're an athlete, you're used to being in the huddle. Maybe now you're going to need some people in the financial services realm or money management, health coaching. Maybe you'll need, you know, trainers of your own to work on your injuries or keep strong. So it's a development process. And don't uh, be afraid to let go of people if they're not keeping you moving towards your best self. You know, we're geared as athletes never to fail, right? You can't fail. You always got to be successful. You always got to win, right? Because that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal is to win and, and realizing that, no, you know, there's going to be times that you don't win. But it's back to that PDC process, right? What have, you, what have you learned? How do you adjust? Let's do it all over again then. And I think that's part of the biggest challenge with athletes, the, the fear of failure, the fear of losing. And not that we purposely try to lose, but when it happens, how do you handle it? That's right. And so much of what I talk to my clients about, Kurt, is what is your process? You know, it, it, and, and if you're, so if it's a business decision, if it's, you know, whatever that is, if I bring in Kurt, if I bring in my wife, if I bring in, who do I bring in? And if that's the process I go through to decide whether I'm going to invest in a stock of Apple. And if the decision is no, then I'm going to learn to trust my process. That doesn't mean I can't use that model you're talking about, adjust the process, flex it, get rid of those who aren't really in line with your same goals. But it, it shows, right, I'm building something that I'm going to stick to over the long run, regardless of result, right? Because then it's about shifting from results orientation to process orientation. So anyway, Kurt, it's a real pleasure. Please tell everyone how to get a hold of you, how they can check in with more of your projects. I feel humbled and gifted. I guess I want to thank the quarantine that you're not as busy as you are, but I know uh, you'll be back out there uh, hopefully in the coming months and hopefully in LA so we can grab a, a bite or something. So that'd be great. Yeah, best way is uh, my website, kurtdavid.com, www.kurtdavid.com, kurtdavid.com. Um, you can reach out through there or just learn more about what we're doing. And uh, old episodes of From Glory Days, are they on YouTube or? Uh, Glory Days TV. Yep, glorydaystv.com now. It's a streaming website. You can check it out. And they actually have some other shows on there as well. We're creating some other content. One is called Behind the Microphone with Sports Broadcasters. Uh, we have a, a longtime Major League Baseball broadcaster hosting that show. He interviews different sports broadcasters. And so it's all, you know, all sports content. We're Adding, we're adding a show right now. It's called uh, Inside the Pizza Oven. It's a gentleman who owns a pizza shop, and he's interviewing athletes while they're making pizza. And so it's kind of a cool one. It's called Inside the Pizza Oven. So we're developing oh, that one as well. Oh, that's fantastic. 
So that'll, that'll be on that site as well soon. And so we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. That's terrific. And the uh, mental health podcast, how do people get a hold of that? Yeah, that's a broadcast TV show on local TV here. It's uh, Mind Matters with Dr. Michelle. I know there's a Facebook page. And if you're in Detroit, you can watch it also. It's uh, in the Caribbean right now. I just understand it's going to be starting in the Caribbean this week. And so we're, we're continuing to expand out. Our goals go national with that show as well. So we're getting, also, I guess I should mention from Glory Days can be found on Amazon Prime. At least season four will be on Amazon Prime with our Emmy Award winning interview with Rocky Blyer and some of the others. Terrific. So now if you're looking for something to binge in the pandemic, you can check out Rocky Blyer and Kurt David booming with a smile, booming with charisma and kindness. I'm thankful for you, Kurt. And and my pleasure. Uh, your time. Keep up the good work and uh, we'll talk soon and I appreciate it, Richard. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Well, that was a real gift. Mr. Kurt David, Emmy Award winning executive producer international speaker on Sudden Change, co-founder of Purpose Point, and you heard Glory Days TV and From Glory Days. Check it out, Amazon Prime, season four, a great resource talking about bringing mental health out there into the world and sports, own journey, and looking at ways to help athletes with transitions and looking at the real human being. What we do here on the Richard Listens cast, look at the human being behind the performer, behind your father, mother, daughter, athlete, doctor, lawyer, carpenter, electrician, any profession I omitted, forgive me, self, right? Who are you and how can we help you peel back the layers, the onion, so you can more fully connect to who you are and your purpose for this world? I'm Richard Listens. If you or someone you know would like support or assistance, I could be reached richardlistens.com or Instagram, Richard Listens. Uh, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.